So, um, well, my name is Christopher Vengala, and my children are waiting for me to say this, which is the fact I'm uh, from West Virginia. <laughs> and they're embarrassed now. Uh, so I work for this nonprofit called Youth with a Mission. I've lived in the United States for about 20 years. And, um, you know, and my mom is here visiting me uh, for just a couple days, a couple weeks. I'm in a couple months. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I hope she has a great time here while she's here. And um, so when Jason asked me to speak uh, this Sunday, I loved the, the series that is going on, the treasures. And I was looking at the notes that Jason sent. And I was really fascinated because these are just not biblical truths, the jewels that he's talking about. But rather, these are confrontations for other different options that we have, uh, even in Nashville. Um, you know, because of globalization and internet and everything, today we all know that Jesus is not the only option. Christianity is not the only option. You know, this beautiful book is not the only option. That there are so many different options that we could follow. And in the midst of it, these, these six jewels, the next six, uh, next five uh, uh, sermons that Jason is going to speak are not only uh, beautiful biblical truths, but they're actually a little bit of a confrontation. For example, last week he talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is, is a concept that is, um, that is in every different culture, every worldview offers uh, forgiveness, but not like the Bible offers. Most of us here, we could ask each other this question, do you think God forgave your sins? And most of us here will be very confident in saying, yes, God did forgive my sins. But if you talk to a Muslim and ask him, by John, brother, you go to Mecca every year. You do the whole five pillars of Islam. How sure are you that your sins are forgiven? And he'll take two steps back. And he says, Allah jane kya hoga, which means only God knows what's going to happen. You talk to the Muslim priest about his own personal sins. There's absolutely no confidence that the sins are forgiven. For example, uh, even Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't offer any forgiveness of sins. It is, uh, they go to the Ganges. So they go to this, this mountain in the south and they shave their head and give that as a sacrifice for forgiveness and acceptance. But still, they are fighting for it. Because no Hindu will actually confess and say, yes, I'm very confident that my sins are forgiven. You go to any other world, even Buddhism is the same thing. One of the reasons Buddha, Buddha was actually in Hinduism. He was a Hindu priest. And he left Buddhism because of this particular problem. That there is no answer for the human predicament, the predicament of sin. So... Today we're going to talk about acceptance, and I want to read the text for you guys. Verse 19, Colossians chapter 1, verse, verse 19. For in, him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, make peace by the blood of the cross. And in you... And you who, are alienate, who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing good deeds, 
he has now reconciled his body and his flesh by death in order that we can be blameless. Now, let me talk just a little bit about the text itself. So this is one of uh, Paul's uh, epistles, prison epistles, which means he wrote it from the prison. And he has never been to the city. This is, uh, this is a city that he knows people uh, from the city and this church, but he's never been to the city. So he, he is writing this letter from the prison to an audience that he has never met. He's only heard about these people and what the condition of the church is and what is going on. And of course, there are other pastoral epistles that Paul wrote, and this is one of them. And a lot of the scholars actually say he wrote Ephesians and Philemon at the same time and sent it through a messenger to all these different churches. And there's also a suggestion that, you know, if Ephesians and Colossians, he asked them to exchange the letters because there were some similar problems going on. There were about 10 churches at this point in, 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 in that part of church history. And we also see that there are about 78 verses, not verbatim, but very common between Ephesians and in, in Colossians. So that gives us an idea that the issues that are going on in that particular region, of course, it's 100, 100 miles, maybe about 65 kilometers from Ephesians to Colossians. Both letters written at the same time, almost to the same kind of an audience. Now, it is, this letter was written in 60, 6180, so what does it mean? It's about 30 years after Christ was crucified. It is kind of important for us to understand the atmosphere, the culture, what were the people going through. Like, they were not dealing with fake news like we do today. You know, they're not dealing with uh, globalization. They're not dealing with anything that we were dealing with. They lived in a very specific time in history with a whole different set of problems. So it's, it's about uh, 30 years uh, after Jesus was crucified. So in other words, the, the crucifixion was very fresh. It happened in their generation. In other words, let me give you uh, an example. 9-11 happened in our generation. It is not a foreign concept. Even for my children, though they are growing up, uh, some of them were born after 9-11. They know what 9-11 is. Me and John, Lock, John uh, Long know what 9-11 is. We're very familiar. We don't need to. In the same way, people knew what happened on the cross. They knew that this, this guy that was hung on the cross was innocent. If you go through some of the uh, historians at that point, non-Christian historians, Josephus, he writes very clearly that the man that was hung on the cross was totally innocent. And 30 years passed by, at this point the church is really ramping up. And the gospel in Asia is spreading. Now, back then, the earth was flat. I'm sorry to wake you up if you're a flat earther. That's what they believed. You know, I'm not quite sure if they even believed that North America existed. You know, poor Australian. I met my Australian friend today. Uh, Aussies are still down there doing their own thing. Uh, but, but they did not believe that the earth was round. But they believed at that point in time, the gospel was preached. There were 10 known church, churches in that time. And so in that 
that atmosphere is when Paul is writing. Now the question is, why did he write this letter? It's very important to know that why he wrote this letter. The reason to write this letter is to address false teachings that could undermine the gospel. Just like today, there were false teachers back then. You know, if you read the whole book, you will see a couple of things that he was dealing with is, of course, there was a lot of legalism. They were still dealing with, hey, should we really do this whole circumcision thing or should we not? It's only been dealt with, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. But they were still struggling and there were some teachings creeping up into the church and Paul is directly addressing those issues. Now, when, when you read an epistle, if Paul is talking about a certain issue, for example, uh, if he's talking about don't get drunk, you know, with, uh, with the Holy Communion, it is safe to assume that there was a problem there. And that is why he's addressing these words. He's not just randomly writing something in these letters. So if you see another thing that you see in, here is, uh, he's, trying to, he's trying to show the people that, that, that the deity of Jesus is, is very legitimate because there were some teachings that are undermining that. He's telling them that the nature and the redemption of Christ and reconciliation of Christ is a non-negotiable in the gospel. So probably they were saying, because he repeats the word re reconciliation a couple times, they were probably coming against the new concept that Jesus has come to reconcile between man and God. And that is where he's trying to hammer. And you know, so now that we know exactly what was happening, not exactly, partly what was happening at that time in history, I want us to now go back to the scripture and read and see what, he, what Paul was trying to communicate here. Going back to the, the, what Jason was talking about is, is, is forgiveness and, and acceptance. Now, why do we need acceptance? Do we even need acceptance? We do. Because we're all fallen creatures. We, 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 we fall short of so many things on a daily basis. And we feel like the, the, God is rejecting us. He's not accepting us for who we are. Like I was talking about uh, the Hindu God. All right, You go with an offering. You go with a goat. You go with something. Or you go to shave your head. You offer something for acceptance. But our worldview, our Bible, our book, our, 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 the way we look at the world through the lens of the Bible says, you don't need a sacrifice. Because the sacrifice was already given. You're accepted and come the way you are. Let me read a couple of verses here from the same text. I want us to park in verse 21. And you... Who, are, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, now who, you people who were alienated and hostile in mind. I like those two words. His Paul is saying, at least for the first read when you read it, one of the things that pops is, oh, okay, we were alienated, we were hostile, we were so far away from God. And kind of it suggests that God has distanced from us. But at least when I read the whole Bible in the context of who Christ is, 
that's quite not sure because he says you were alienated and hostile in your mind which means that's not the reality because you know there's a concept you know even we christians believe that till we came to christ he was so far away from us but that, i think sometimes we borrow that thought process from other world views around us that god is actually distant you know pick the greatest lost person in ashville and guess what god is still pursuing him god is still close with it's, it's, it's something that we think in our mind that god has alienated us and he's ran away the, but that is nev- never the never the christian concept never the biblical concept and one of the things that he's trying to do is you know what, another thing is the christian god jesus is the initiator you don't see that anywhere you don't initiate god is the one that initiates a love relationship with us you know i talked with so many different people um you know all over the world when i travel here here in asheville about do you think god accepts you you know there's this 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 pause and blank blindness in their eye because they are like you know god is so powerful and so big how can he accept me sometimes they don't say that but you see that in their eyes because god is up there his power for example the world that i come from uh india is is has got 350 million gods You know, in many ways, uh, if you worship one God a day, you still leave, you know, you still leave millions rejected for the rest of their life because you haven't even had time to say hello to them. You know, and you can turn anything into God and, and it, it goes. But you, you see this, um, most of the gods have, you know, 10 heads or they look like an elephant or they look like this huge big monkey with a big sword. or you know it's just very dramatic and very powerful because because they cannot accept a god that is personal like if you even talk to uh, a muslim a, he, this is really not in his framework to understand that god is personal god is powerful yes of course we believe that but is he a personal god no 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 i can't even come close to that because is god but that is not what what the bible teaches the bible even the christians yeah you know, here's the thing sometimes i feel like our world view is more powerful than the bible this is what i mean when we come to the bible we still wear the lenses of our world view and we're reading the scripture and we inter- and so our world view has a high influence and in how we interpret a certain part of the scripture So one of the things I've seen uh, even in from the world that I come from in Indian Christians is it is easy for us to even after we get saved it is easy for us to relate to God as this most powerful God we can trust God to do miracles but they're a little shy and anxious though they're Christians to relate to him as a personal God I got saved here uh five seven years before i came here but being in your culture god started pulling those layers off 
the, I still believe God is powerful, but I, I believe even more that he is a personal God, that he is a God that accepts me just the way I am. Recently, uh, in September, I was in Mumbai. And um, so I woke up one morning right near Gateway of India and I was having a cup of coffee. And I was going through, uh, I, was, I was having my quiet time. And I was reading the scripture from the Psalms where it says, you know, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord builds, the labor is in vain. As I was meditating, that scripture always had a negative connotation to me. In, you know, at least my culture pushed it in such a way that, oh my gosh, you know, God is going to screw everything up. You know, if, you, if you're not good, if you don't do things right. And God began to speak to me in the midst. It was, it was actually rather very uh, significant because I'm in this biggest city, 27 million people, biggest city in the world with, with tons of idols, powerful idols that actually look, physically look like they want to destroy you. In the midst of those big, high, powerful gods, I felt the Lord said, I am a builder, not a destroyer. A God is a God that builds. He's not here to destroy your dreams, but rather build with you. Our God is a God that builds like we talked about, it's a mind game. It is not that God has distanced us, himself from us. He's never. Can I ever imagine dis distancing myself from my children? Impossible. Even, right now they're giving me a little hard time, they're teenagers. It is impossible for me to say, no, I reject you. No. If me being wretched in my sin can have that kind of, of, of acceptance and love for my child, how much more does God? He has never... The darkest places we've been to, we've seen madams, we've seen pimps. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. It's really dark in Mumbai. In spite of that, God loves the trafficker not just the traffic. We can watch Neam Leeson and pull out all his guns and all his moves and see how he rescues people and have this deep passion for the traffic. But the fact of the matter is the Lord has not distanced himself from the trafficker himself. That is the grandiose of God that we believe in. He accepts the trafficker. It is hard to believe what I'm about, what I just said, even for me. But that is the fact. It really doesn't matter how it makes me feel. Truth doesn't care about my feelings. It's just the fact of who our God is. He accepts the trafficked. He, accept, he accepts the trafficker. Both are the same. Now, the word reconciliation is one of the most powerful words uh, within Bible, within, within the Christian worldview and the concept and the Bible because the word reconciliation is kind of used in other, 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 uh, other, other religions, other worldviews, but it's never, ever, ever used in the context of the religion or their belief system. It is always used in banking uh, vocabulary 
or sometimes in conflict within people, but does not believe up here. But that is the core. If you would ask me, hey, if you, were, if you want to just bring the whole Christian worldview into one word, what would you say? I would say God came to reconcile. If that didn't happen, we are all done. He came to reconcile. In order, hostile in our mind, doing evil deeds. And then now he reconciled in his body and his flesh and his death. In order so that he can present you holy and blameless above everything. There's a story I want to quote from the Quran. Quran is, is the Muslim book. It's their Bible. And uh, a lot of us think the whole of Old Testament is, is in the Quran. It is not. It is just the Pentateuch, the Psalms, and a couple of the, few of the minor and major prophets. That's it. And there's something else called Hadith, which is, which is their Gospels. You know, the, the followers of, of Muhammad wrote what Muhammad did, just like the Gospels. And I want to quote a story from there. Uh, this woman was caught in adultery, and they bring him to uh, they, they bring him to Muhammad and say, "Woman, this woman, this woman is caught in adultery, and she's pregnant. What do we do?" And Muhammad, in his graciousness, he says, "Take her away from me. Bring her back in nine months with the baby." That's very kind of him to say that. And um, they bring him. This all it's, it's all a public thing. They bring him. They bring the woman and the baby to Muhammad after nine months. He takes the baby and he says, Drill, uh, dig a big hole and bury this girl to the neck and stone her to death. That is the best reconciliation and that's the best acceptance that Islam offers. In fact, if the woman was, was married and then she was caught in adultery, then you actually... Do her a favor and dig her till her dig a hole to the waist and 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 bury her and then take the same those hooks that were used on Jesus when they whipped his his flesh off. Use something like that and and whip her and tear all the skin up apart and her bones and her ribs exposed and the vultures eat her to death. That is the best acceptance and reconciliation that Islam offers. But there's a similar story in. In, 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 in John chapter 8, this woman is caught in adultery. They drag her to Jesus. And there's a lot of visual things uh, that are going on there. Sometimes, even I missed it for many years. So a, a brother actually sh- uh, pointed it out. Jesus is on his knee, right? He's writing something. And as he's writing something, they bring... When this, so, so when he's writing something on the ground, I don't know what he's writing. But he's, he's to the eye level of this... Adulterous prostitute that is there. Eye level. In those days, a rabbi going to that kind of a physical gesture is unheard of. Just opposite of what the Quran offers. The the Bible offers forgiveness and acceptance no matter what. Three weeks ago, we were in um, we were in Mumbai, and we when you get a chance, go and watch a video on our website. Uh, we do this anti-sex trafficking uh, ministry. We take a young girl out of prostitution, 
uh, and put her through a rehab for three years. End of three years, she's actually she uh, she is healed. She is she is on her way to wholeness, and she also has her own uh, small business. And I've seen reconciliation and redemption and acceptance. Uh, in a way like never before. So we went to the house where all the girls are, and we were having uh, coffee and tea and just talking to these girls. And, and these girls, they're in, they don't know their age. They don't know that if there is a... When they come to the home, they don't know if something called there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They don't know that a, a day has 24 hours you know, 12 hours, daytime, nothing. They don't know anything because they've been put in a cage for 10 years. How many of you have seen the movie Lion? You should watch it if it's Netflix, you know. And it's a beautiful movie. And you'll see in that movie uh, that this kid was lost and trafficked at a young age. And now he lives in Australia, adopted. But through internet, he actually finds his home uh, when he's 21. And we've met girls who have actually done the same exact thing. They've been trafficked when they were little. And now the, the staff in Mumbai, they collect different memories of their life and start Googling. Let's see if you can find this picture that you're talking about. Let's see if you can find if this picture matches in, 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 the, in the climate, in the weather that you remember or the smells that you remember when you were trafficked. And, and I firsthand got to hear the story of this girl that found her home. Guess what? They took her to the home, and she was probably 15, 16 years old. And uh, they were going, go, passing through this train, and they know they're in this gen, general area, but we don't know the name of the village or thing. And all of a sudden, she looks out of the window, and she says, her spirit leaps, this young girl, and she says, Dad, that's my village. I remember it. They get out of the station. They go door to door in the village and find the house that she grew up in, that she was trafficked from. Guess what? The family rejected her. They said, no, we don't need you. You're dirty. We don't need you. But that's not what God does. He accepts us with our dirt, with the mire, the muck, the smell, the ugliness of who we are. And one of the reasons they could not accept this girl is because their worldview doesn't allow acceptance. They themselves have no idea if their God has accepted them or not. And I can go on with stories over and over and over and over again. But I want to read verse 22 because that is what everything hinges on. This is why we are actually accepted and reconciled. He has now reconciled in his body and his flesh and his death. In order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Without what happened on the cross, we would be exactly where those parents are. They rejected the kid that was trafficked for 10 years and he said, don't come. 
because they themselves have never experienced exception. Guys, I know we do this on a regular basis here. We, we, we do the Holy Communion um, every Sunday. Most churches don't, no judgment. But I think it's fascinating. When I was a young man, I was, when I was in my early 20s, I went 30 days of serving myself a Holy Communion. And it was one of the most fascinating things that I've ever, spiritual things that I've ever done. It's powerful. You know, Jason really preps us up to, to take the Holy Communion on these four corners. And guys, the thing is, without, without, well, you can have a moment with the Lord without the Holy Communion. Of course, it is not a religious act. But it is a great moment to pause and realize, I'm accepted by the Lord. You know, we, most of us are on social media, and we live in a time where there's so much of pressure to be accepted socially. Bullying, this and that. You know, who's liking my post? Who's not liking my post? You know, and you know, like I run nonprofits, I have to meet a lot of people. And I do meet people that don't accept me. And my response in my heart is not arrogance. I'm like, I will be okay if you don't accept me. My world is not going to be shattered. I'll be okay. I'll be just fine. Because I know vertically I'm totally accepted. Horizontally, it really does not matter. It's not arrogance. It is just a confidence in my acceptance this way. Guys, if we are not secure in this acceptance, we're always seeking for this. And guess what? This is always disappointing. And sometimes when this acceptance is rejected, we think this is rejected too, but that is a lie from the pit of hell. This acceptance can never, ever, ever be interrupted. It is, so guys, when we come together at this table and partake in the Holy Community, it is a beautiful, powerful moment to say, oh, I am accepted forgiven forever because of the cross. If, like Paul said, if Christ, Christ didn't raise from dead, we are screwed. We might as well go ahead and become Muslims and Buddhists, but no. But that is what happened. So, you know, I want to uh, introduce this. Well, if I'm feeling for Jason, I have to play a movie, right? So uh, I want to show you a clip from a beautiful uh, movie. It's called Antoine Fisher. How, have you guys watched that? You've got to watch it. It is one of the most powerful movies I've ever watched. In fact, when we do our training schools, we do Antoine Fisher morning. We show the video. And after the video, we actually have this beautiful processing time and give room for God to move. Okay, let me quickly explain what the movie is about. So Antoine Fisher grows up in this ghetto, uh, poor neighborhood, and he grows up literally in a very dark situation. He's abused and treated really wrong as a kid. And he grows up, and at some point, he in his early 20s, he begins to, he becomes, he, you know, he's in the Navy. 
And in the Navy, he is struggling and he meets a counselor, Denzel Washington. So Denzel is his counselor and they both have this great relationship and they are uh, actually um, communicating well. Denzel is counseling. In the process, you know, Antoine Fisher's, Fisher becomes a little too dependent on the counselor. And the counselor says, no, I'm not your answer, bro. No. And then as they were counseling, he realizes there's no way there's going to be reconciliation in this guy's heart till he meets his family. He does not know who his mom is. He does not know who his father is. Nothing. And he tells him, Antoine, you got to find your family. I am not your family. You need to find acceptance there. And Antoine and his girlfriend go on this chase to find who his real parents are. He goes to his mom that actually came for adoption. Mom is just, uh, you know, she, she's, she's very embarrassed. Uh, she's, she's in deep pain to see the son that she gave away is back. And then they, he finds his dad's side of his family and his cousins and everything. So this, this video clip that we're going to watch is the moment after he figures out who his family is and his family is excited and they invite him to the family. And as you're watching this, it's just not an entertaining movie clip, but I want you to know that that is the kind of acceptance the cross provides. Guys, I don't know everything, but I know, I know something little more than some of you about other world religions. You can search in every other worldview. There is no table for you to welcome to. There's no forgiveness. There's no acceptance. So as you watch this video clip, I want you to, uh, I want you to know that God is saying, welcome, welcome to the table, no matter what you're accepted. You know, I come from a little bit of a legalistic um, uh, culture. The pastor actually announces, my mother is here, she'll accept with me. When it's time for Holy Communion, the pastor actually announces, if you have sin in your heart, don't come and partake in this. No, if you have sin in your heart, it's even more reason for you to come. You know, so again, like Jason says, there is no forcing or mandatory or judgment if you don't. But I want to say there's a table here and that is saying, welcome and God is at the head of the table. Let's watch the video clip. Hey, what are you doing? I'm your Uncle Horace. Get out the way, Horace. Come on, baby. Oh, oh look at you. Look at you. I'm your Aunt Edda, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, I'm your cousin Jeanette. Oh, get out your Aunt Edda. How are you doing, baby? Oh. This is my wife, T. How you doing? Good looking. Your cousin Eddie. My dad named me after your father. This is my brother Rex. What's up, dog? What's cracking? Hey, y'all. I'm your cousin Jason, man. What's love? What's love? All right, boys. Open up.
So I hope that this clip spoke to you, and that is the kind of acceptance that um, that the table offers when you come. No matter where you are in your walk with God or not walking with God, uh, there is an open, wide arms acceptance for you today. And uh, I'm sure they're going to set up the community different. Uh, corners of the room and um, over to you Ben